it's time once again for another look into God's infallible book as we welcome you to another broadcast of the Riches of Grace. This program is the radio voice of Grace School of the Bible and is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. At the heart of our ministry is the desire to help you appreciate and rejoice in the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why we call this program the Riches of Grace. We're happy you've tuned our way today and trust that our time together will prove a real blessing as we continue with the series of studies designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. My name is Alex Kurz, and it's my privilege to invite you to join us as Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, brings us another message from the Word of God. Thank you, Alex, and we're certainly glad, my friend, to be on the air again today and to have you tuned in with us, and we trust that you'll enjoy the next half hour as we study God's Word together. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7, where we've been for the last few weeks as we've been looking at Paul's uh, statement where he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's a tremendously um, important passage when, uh, w- with regard to the basic issues of what the Christian life and the dispensation of grace is all about and how our lives are designed to be lived uh, day by day as a as a as a faith response to to our understanding of what it is God is doing today uh, in Christ and how He's provided for us and made us sufficient in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We've seen the contrast between the way members of the church, the body of Christ, and the dispensation of grace operate, and the way. Uh, the nation Israel operated, believers in Israel under the law program operated. They literally walked by sight. Uh, they had an earthly program uh, where they, they would still, God tells them, and see the salvation of God. And they would see it literally materialize in front of their eyes. You recall we looked at, at the, the birth of the nation Israel uh, out of Egypt and the Exodus. And they literally would saw uh, the dead bodies of the Egyptians on the, on the, uh, the banks of the Red Sea. And uh, they knew from that. They saw the salvation of God, Exodus 14 says. Uh, but there's a, the, 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 the contrast with us is that our purpose in the body of Christ is, is not an earthly purpose, but a heavenly We're to set our affections on things above, seek those. And God's purpose today focuses on, on the, the formation of a spiritual body of believers, blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so our ministry today... Uh, how do you see something you can't see? Well, you see it by faith. So we walk by faith. And thus, the contact that we have with reality in the spiritual realm today, what confirms uh, God's blessing and favor and working in us is His Word. And it's, it's God's Word. We have access to the grace of God. The way we access God's grace is through, the, is through faith in the Word of God to us. It's by faith that we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Access is that, that great uh, Bible word that is, has come into its own in the computer age. And you want to have access to the information that's on the heart. You, uh, you, 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 what do you do when you access it? Well, you go in and you get it and you put it to work. It can be there, but you have to access it. You have to get to it. You have to put it into operation. And our contact, uh, the way we have access to the grace of God is through the Word of God given to us through uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul says uh, to the Ephesian elders, he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up in inheritance. Uh, the issue of the word of his grace. He tells the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, he says that the spirit of God, they'll be strengthened by might by his spirit in the inner man. 
and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. You see, it's, it's, it's God's Word resting in our hearts and then our faith trusting it, believing it, and making it so. And it's the Word of God that is, is complete and sufficient and available. And we have those two wonderful assets that make us totally sufficient in Christ. For you today as a believer, and if you're not a believer, well, you could be. Uh, if you're not saved today, you can be, and you should be. To become a saint of God, a child of God today is by faith in Christ Jesus. It's not by going to church. It's not by doing rites, rules, ceremonies, rituals. It's not by um, commandments and observances and all those kind of things. It's not by what you're going to do. Because what you do always comes short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short, listen, of the glory of God. Not short of somebody else, not short of your own expectations, not short of your, your, your church's standards, but of God. You have hard enough time living up to everybody else's expectations, much less the expectations and the standards of a perfect God. You say, well, Brother Rick, I'm not perfect. I know that. But you see, that's what the Bible says sin is. God is the standard, not you and me. It's clear that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. God compares us to himself. And when God looks down today at humanity, he doesn't see Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Hindus, Muslims, and, and uh, atheists. He looks out and he sees sinners. And he has a question. What have you done with my son? Have you trusted my son or not? And the, there, there are some sinners that are saved sinners because they've trusted his son, and some are lost sinners because they haven't. Which are you today? Now, this is something that you know. If I would ask you today, do you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? If you don't know, I can tell you, you're going to spend it in hell, in the lake of fire, separation from God forever. You say, how do you know, Brother Rick? Well, you would know if you got saved or not. You see, it takes a positive choice to be saved. It takes, it takes making a decision to trust Christ. And if you've never made that decision, then you're not saved. The Bible says, Jesus said, in fact, he that believes not is condemned already. See? So you don't need to wonder where you're going to spend eternity. Uh, one of the members of our assembly, a uh, young man, went and asked his, uh, uh, his priest that, that was in the religious system where he was before he got saved. He, he, he sat down with his priest, and he asked him, says, uh, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And he said, and the priest tells him, well, I'll either spend it in heaven or hell or purgatory. <laughs> well, that's one too many choices. Purgatory is just the, 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 uh, it's just the superstition of uh, pagan mythology. Purgatory is not Bible. That's mythology. Uh, the Bible has just two places, heaven or hell. No place in between, heaven or hell. And you go to one or the other. If you don't know for sure that you're going to go to heaven, well, it's because you haven't believed. And if you haven't believed, then you're condemned already. So you can know for sure. Either way. I hope you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, that you have eternal life as a present possession. If you don't, right this minute, right where you are, no matter what you're doing, where you are, you don't have to bow your head. You don't have to pray. You don't have to uh, go to church. You don't have to move on. Thing. God looks at your heart. He wants to see your heart resting in his son. In the quietness and the stillness of your own heart, right where you are, you make the choice, decision to trust Jesus Christ, rely upon him exclusively to be the Savior that he died for you to be. That instant, God will save you. That instant, God will take you, put you in his son, make his son's death your death, his son's payment for sin, your payment for sin, and his son's resurrection life, your life. That's the operation of God. 
That's something God does for you. As Jesus Christ paid it, gave his life for you at Calvary, so he'd give his life to you when you trust him. So that then he could live his life through you day by day as you walk in the sufficiency that God has given you in Christ. And when you get saved, he puts you in Christ and he makes you complete in Christ. And when you're complete in Christ, that means you're totally sufficient, able to stand, lacking nothing. There's nothing you ever need to do for God. There's nothing that you ever are going to be called on to do for God. There's nothing God ever wants to do for you that hasn't already been accomplished and given to you completely in Christ. So that's one thing that makes you completely sufficient, your identity in Christ. The other is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Not only do you have this complete, sufficient identity in Christ, but you wouldn't know about that if you didn't have the Word of God to tell you about it. So God wrote a book, preserved that book through history, and has provided it for you and me to read today and have in our hands. When you have a King James Bible, you have the preserved Word of Almighty God. And you have all the verses that ought to be in the Bible, and all the verses that ought not be in there have been left out. Now, you can't have any other modern English version but a King James. All the other Bibles have verses left out of them. Check and see. Don't take it from me. They have verses added in. They don't belong there. But when you have the, the, the uh, uh, text of the King James Bible, you have in your language, the English language, the Word of God preserved and placed into your language. And you can trust it and be sufficiently equipped by it for every good work. So you have this identity in Christ, and then you have this sufficient Word that is available to give you all of the information that you'll ever need to know about everything God has for you or has for you to do in His Son. So you have the completed identity in Christ, and you have His Word, and you have access to this identity that you have in Christ through that Word, and then it's Christ that lives in you. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen, a verse that we talk about all the time on this study. Paul tells the Thessalonians that he how he thanked God for them, and you know when you read the book of Acts uh, in, in Acts chapter seventeen, when Paul was at Thessalonica, they actually gave him a pretty hard time there to start with. But then when he writes back, he says, "For this cause also thank we God without ceasing." Because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So it becomes God's word working through you. And you see, it's God the Holy Spirit not going over and giving you a heebie-jeebie fit where you run up and down an aisle and shake, you know, shake rattle and roll and, and all this crazy pagan nonsense that goes on in Christendom today and is called revival, where you bark like dogs and, and shake violently and, and laugh incessantly and some other spirit takes you over and does all that. People, that is such superstitious ignorance that it is, it, is a, it is a shame on the church of Jesus Christ for that to be in our midst, called by our name, and somebody not stand up and say, shame, for bringing that kind of occult paganism into the church under the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. That's got not what God's Word is talking about. 
But that's the difference between what you see on the modern Christian scene today that is taken as normal Christian in many places. The difference between the Bible has to say. Oh, it's wonderful to be a Bible believer because it liberates you from all of that nonsense, all of that religious, superstitious ignorance. And it allows God's truth to become the thing that works effectually in you because you believe it. So it's God's Word that works in you. Now, and then you have the life, then it's Christ. Now, how do you know, when you go about the details of your life, how do you know in each particular thing that you go through every day that as you live your life, that it's Christ living in you? How do you know when it's Christ? And how do you know when it's you? How do you know when it's, when it's his life or it's just what you want to do? Now, that's a good question. The answer to that question is the answer to the Christian life in its details. And the answer to living day in and day out in such a way as to honor and glorify him in the details of your life. It's what people are looking for when they do these freak, show, freak shows and, and do all these weird things. I mean, my heart goes out to people like that. They're looking for some reality. They're just looking in all the wrong places. Now, they're not the only people that do that. There are some people that go over into big buildings that when you just walk into the building, you feel like crawling under a pew because you know, the, the, the majesty of the building just makes you feel humble. And they use the formalism. They're not fanatics. They're just formalists. And you get this real humble feeling by the architecture. And there's this voluntary humility and so forth and so on that goes on. And it just puffs up your flesh. <laughs> makes you feel good about being there, you know. And uh, that kind of thing. And that isn't it either. It's not formalism. It's not fanaticism. It's faith. Action is based, if a decision is based, on faith. That is, it is a positive response to an intelligent understanding of God's Word to you. Then it's Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Paul says, For we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing, every, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, that's the issue, is to bring is to cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When he says casting down imaginations, that word imagination, imageization, that's the involuntary function of your inner man, of your mind. Just like you, you have physically you have involuntary actions. You don't stand and say, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart. <laughs> That's just an involuntary thing. Now, you can make yourself breathe. <sighs> you can make yourself do that. But you don't think about it uh, 59 and a half minutes out of, a, uh, out of an hour, do you? No, it's an involuntary action that takes over. Well, 
you have involuntary functions in your inner man, in your spiritual nature. And your mind, and your, your inner mind, some people call it your subconscious mind, the level where your imaginations work, can be and is directed by your conscious thinking. And you can retrain your subconscious by conscious obedience to sound doctrine, by bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. And the way you produce change in your life, the way you produce change in the activities and the actions and the feelings of your life is by bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You can do everything in your life by faith. For example, you can go to work by faith. In fact, you should go to work by faith. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul doesn't work and provide for his own house, denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. So when you get up and you go to work each week and you work and you provide for your, yourself and for your family's needs, you can do that as a faith response to the responsibility God has given you in that regard. Now when you go to work, instead of it being drudgery and something you hate and how you just can't stand this, you can go there and it may be just the senior work, but you can do it by faith. And when you, when you do it by faith, God fills you with joy and peace in believing. You can by faith. You can wash dishes by faith. <laughs> People say, well, you know, you're going to wash the dishes. Got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we're not talking about the dishwashing, dishwashing liquid. We're talking about joy in washing dishes. You say, oh, I, that's, Brother Rick, that's just drudgery. No. Doesn't Titus 2 says that a, that a wife is to be a keeper at home? Why? You can do it by faith. You can love your spouse by faith. You don't know how many times people call me and talk to me, come to me as a pastor with, with problems in their marriage, and they feel like their spouse, man or woman, husband or wife, doesn't appreciate them, doesn't love them, they, 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 they all focus on the problems. You can love your spouse and choose in the role of a husband or wife by faith and do it for the Lord. And when you do, you know what it does? It changes everything. Because God fills you with joy and peace in believing. You can know it's Christ living in you. When your life is lived and actions are based on faith, on a positive response to sound doctrine, that's God's Spirit working in our inner man and producing the life of Christ in us. You see, God's Word works in us that believe. And it, the, the work is, is in direct proportion to how much you believe it, how much you apply the sound doctrine to the details of your life. Jesus said, the words that I spirit and they are life, John six sixty three. God takes his life and puts them in some words. And those spiritual words on the physical pages of the Bible is, is what ties the spiritual and the physical experiences of your life together. Every contact you've ever had with has been on an inner subjective level. You know that it was Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, that you contacted on that inner subjective level. Well, he's given you an objective standard of his word. So you can go outside of your own impressions, your own hunches, your own feelings, outside of yourself, 
because you know that if there's anybody in the world you can't always trust, it's you. You've failed. You've disappointed yourself and others enough to know that you can't. You've been wrong enough to know you can't always trust you. You need something that outside of you that you can't always trust. It can't be another person because they fail just like you. Imagine setting up some religious guru to trust. He's made out of the same thing you're made out of. So is she. They fail too. So you need you need somebody that never fails and never makes a mistake. You can always trust. That's God. And God gave you his word, and he put spiritual words on physical pages in a book that ties together your ability to take the spiritual and the physical and bring them together as we walk by faith in his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you make some choices based on a response to sound doctrine to use your life to make your life count for Christ. You know, my friend, we write our own ending to life. How can you use your life to impact the world for Christ? Well, grace teaches you how, and grace empowers you to do it as you walk by faith in a clear understanding of God's Word to you. You don't have to go looking for seeking experiences, seeking rites and ceremonies to perform, you just get your nose in God's book and see who he's made you in Christ. You're complete in Christ. The only question now is an issue of growing in an understanding of that, taking it and applying it to your life on a daily basis by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. By faith and not by our emotions and our experiences. Someone says a man with an experience is more powerful than a man with a, mo- with, with a message early terms and in religious terms unless the message is the message of the word of God rightly divided and then that is the most dynamic thing that can ever come into your life because it never changes experience experiences go people come people go the word of God stands forever the Bible stands like a rock unbroken by raging storms of time you can trust it. To trust it, you need to understand it. Let me give you a, a Bible study tape entitled, What to Do When Trouble. Um, when difficulties come into your life, you need to know how to apply sound doctrine to your life. If you've got the doctrine, the trouble comes, you have something to draw on. It would be really odd to have the doctrine and never have any place to use it. Well, that's what trouble's about. It gives you places to use it. When trouble comes, does it mean God's angry with you? doesn't love you anymore? Well, if he isn't angry with you and he does love you, then why the trouble? And what should you do about it? Let me give you this tape. What to do when trouble comes. This is going to be the last time we offer this tape. We've offered it the last couple of weeks. Today's the last time. What to do when trouble comes. To receive your free copy, simply call me here at... Our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you could write me here at the, at, at the Rich of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. 
My friend, we also want you to know about Grace School of the Bible because we have a we have a rather uniquely designed program available on an extension basis. Our school is is unique in in several ways. First, we we follow the Pauline design for the edification of the believer in curriculum. Rather rather than patterning our curriculum after the standard systematic theologies that are uh, used by most Bible institutes and Bible schools and seminaries, we, we followed a clearly designed outline and pattern for edification that's found in Paul's epistles. And what that does is it allows students to grow to maturity uh, the Pauline way and, and to quickly be prepared for the ministry that the Lord has for them. Another, another uniqueness of, of Grace School of the Bible is that it's offered on an extension basis through the use of a video. In other words, we, we send the school to you rather than requiring you to come to us. And what that does is allows you to enjoy the regular sound Bible teaching and edification in the comfort and convenience of your own home and to fit it into your own scheduling demands and the, and the ministry that perhaps you already have where you are. If you are or you have ever desired to be a serious student of God's Word, plus today for a free catalog. That number again is 888-535-2300. And let me also say thanks to those who are helping us to keep this program on this station. This is our supported radio. And I hope you're encouraged to know that there are folks in your area who love the Word of God rightly divided and who rejoice in the message of grace and the joy of the grace life. My friend, if you don't have a fellowship to attend this week, where the message of grace is taught from the rightly divided word and the grace life is clearly proclaimed, call me and we'll put you in touch with a group in your area where you can find that fellowship and encouragement. Our number again is 888-535-23. Or of course you can write me at any time at the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. And friend, if you're still not sure of salvation, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life as a present possession, be sure to let us know, and we'll be happy to send you some gospel literature that'll make the way plain. That number again is 888-535-2300. Thanks for joining us today, and until we meet again this same time and place next week, Maranatha. Burn Fat Orlando is open to help you during this crazy time. The CDC says those at greatest risk in today's world are those that are overweight, have high blood pressure, and or diabetes. Burn Fat Orlando helps you regain your health, losing up to 30 to 40 pounds in 40 days. Burn Fat Orlando is now offering phone appointments so you can do the program from the safety of your own home. Call Burn Fat Orlando now to find out why we're the only program that guarantees weight loss or your money back. For the most savings, call 855-889-8446. That's 855-889-8446. 889-8446 or at burnfatorlando.com. Pet Parenthood is the greatest experience of an owner's life, but it comes with plenty of emotionally, physical, and financial challenges. Hi, my name is Janelle Young, and I'm America's Pet Owner Coach. Are you a pet intervention? Are you looking for expert guests or just looking to see what's coming up right now in the pet industry? Then this show is for you. Janelle is live and local and taking your phone calls. Saturday mornings at 8 on the Owner Diaries Show. Right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Hello, I'm Alistair Begg. 
inviting you to join me each weekday at 8 a.m. as we open the Word of God and discover its relevance to our lives. Truth for Life in Alistair Begg on the all-new 50,000-watt AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Take the Word with you wherever you go. TheWordOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. We're everywhere you are. AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word, where faith comes by hearing. This is Dave Wilson with Family Life Today reminding you to not forsake the assembly. Go to church this Sunday. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. WTLN Orlando. Make It Crease has sponsored this Make It Clear broadcast. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Because that's what we're going to be doing now, ending the book of James on a very, very critical subject of prayer. And I really want us to really center down on this because I think if the truth be told, that all of us could probably use a little bit of a tune-up in our prayer life. Well, I'm going to really ask the Lord that he'll take today's message and really encourage you. Now, when we talk about prayer from the book of James, some of you might not know this, but James, that great writer who was inspired by the Lord, this tremendous truth on James, he was known as Camel Do you know why he was called Camel Knees? You can probably figure it out. This man spent a great deal of his time on his knees praying. I also was finishing up the biography on Hudson Taylor. And of course, when they finish a biography, they want to tell you how that great guy. Well, the family found him upstairs on his bed, leaned sideways over because he was praying on his knees. Founder of the China Inland Mission, prayed for thousands of people to come faith in Christ. And then George Mueller. This was a man who lived in the 1800s who had a particular conviction. His conviction was that he believed that he could, like other Christians could as well, go to the Lord with whatever prayer request, whatever need that they would have, without ever mentioning that need to anyone, but privately telling God about that, that the Lord could answer that prayer request without him having to do fundraising. Now, what you might not know is that George Mueller had his own ministry as well as a pastor, but he had his ministry primarily working with those who were orphans in an orphanage. And there was 2,000 of these at a time that they had to work with those kids. And again, no fundraiser, no staff development, no uh, money development going to the Lord in prayer. As we end with the book of James, you're going to find that the aspect of pray and prayer is mentioned six times, seven times in the fabric of James. He was a man of tremendous prayer. Now, when I think of prayer, I think of prayer being a tremendous privilege that you and I have, as well as a tremendous responsibility that we have. We know that Abraham in the Old Testament, he talked to God. Do you know that when you talk to God, you talk to the same God that he talked to? When you move into the New Testament, when you see Jesus talking to God the Father, the same God the Father that he spoke to is the same God the Father that you speak to. And then you move into the life of Paul. When he was in a distress, he would go to the same Heavenly Father. So when you God the Father, you're praying to the same God that all these men prayed to. So it's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. And yet when I look at that, it's also probably one of the aspects in our Christian life that we fail at the most. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not inundated with a lot of information. I went up to my personal study library and I thought, 
let me find out how many books I've had on prayer. And I've read through all of them. I have 26 books and booklets on prayer alone. Not to mention a file cabinet that has that in there. Now, I'm not here bragging on that stuff because you can have all the information, go all the seminars. You can Google the word prayer if you want to. You could be in Bible college or seminary. The real question is, are you having an intimate relationship with the Lord by prayer? You see, prayer is not merely asking God for stuff. It's building a relationship by communicating with Him. As we finish the book of James, there's really three questions that He answers for us in our finished study. The first one is, I think it's a very important one. And that's the question, when should I pray? The second is, what kind of a person really can pray? There is a defining type of person, and you'll see what that is in a moment. And then finally, how would I get prayers to be more effective? Now, here's the question before I answer those three. Do you feel like your prayer life is as good as you want it to be? Now, I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip, but are you really praying and prayers answer the way you're hoping? How many of you are struggling right now and you know that you've gone to the Lord, but it doesn't seem to be eliminating some of the challenges that you're facing? Well, maybe for just a moment, don't blame God and maybe don't blame yourself, but just simply say, all right, I'm going to lean into this message and I'm going to take from it what God wants me to do to kind of tune up my prayer life so I can have a better, more intimate relationship with the Lord. So let's begin by answering the first question. When should I pray? Well, here's the first time in the passage here. It talks about when I'm hurting emotionally. Let me read that to you. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, you know that the Bible that you have in front of you has been translated into English, but it comes from the Greek in the New Testament. And the Greek word there is a word that means more than just suffering. It means to suffer misfortune. It means to be in distress or under stress. In fact, in the book of Timothy, it talked about something even more than that. It was like the word hardships. He's not so much talking about the external things like relationship with someone you love or maybe a financial setback because we're living in maybe a recession right now. He's talking about, yes, those things, but it's what those things do to you on the inside. How many of you are struggling even with your own health maybe because you are so stressed out over issues that you have been carrying with you for so long? Something that you haven't been able to break through just yet. Well, it's that kind of suffering on the inside, that emotional suffering that he's talking. Notice it goes a little bit further. It says this in the rest of the verse. It says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. And so I think that's important too. But notice how the two of them go together. Here we see a person suffering. He needs to pray. And those that are now cheerful, let them rejoice in whatever they're going through. Well, the Bible says to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. It seems like our life is kind of an up and down time. I remember when I was in um, Bible college, I had a person once tell me that if you're going into the ministry, remember that when you start your ministry, it's honeymoon. Then you're there a little bit longer and it becomes work. And then if you're there a lot longer, then it becomes nothing but warfare and they really come at you. And I got thinking, do I really want to go into the ministry if we have something like that? And then I had someone who'd been in the ministry a long time who really knew God's word. And here's what he told us, guys. And I really think that this is for you and whatever you're going through as well. And here's what he said. Every day, God allows you to have some special times where it's a real honeymoon, a love kiss and a love hug from the Lord. And that's the time to rejoice and to look for those that are having that love kiss from the Lord and you rejoice with them. And yes, every day there's going to be some work. Yes, you have to do the daily duties of Christian living that requires us to do the disciplines. And then there's going to be some days of warfare because we know there's an unseen enemy out there that does not want us to rejoice. There's an unseen enemy out there that wants to stop us from working and serving the Lord. And so he's going to come against us. But every day we're going to have that. And so our days can really go up and down. 
Now, some of you might be sensing that you're called into the ministry. And if you are, particularly the pastorate, remember your two greatest requirements would be that you would be a person of the word, you know the book, you live the book, you teach the book correctly. And then secondly, that you would be a person of prayer. Now, when I hear that, I think that's good. I want to be praying for our people. But you know what else you'll find when you're in the ministry? That you're probably as good emotionally as the last phone call you got from someone. Here, someone will call you on the phone and say, I have 25 cases of books I want to donate to them. Great theology books. And you're rejoicing and you're thanking the Lord so you can just add to your library good books for people to use. Next phone call, someone's going through a cancer situation, a broken relationship, a lost job. You're going up and down. So whatever you might be going through right now, the lifestyle of a Christian is going to be, yes, you're going to have some suffering, and yes, you're going to have some rejoicing. And in either case, when you suffer, when you go through those emotional times, you need to not look at that, but look at the peace that God could give to you to pray. And if you're sensing that God is doing some great things, don't you rejoice. And when others are rejoicing because good things are happening to them, you celebrate with them because our life is going to be cyclical like that sometimes every single day. So when do we pray? Well, when we suffer. But the second time we pray is when we're hurting physically. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time on this one because I want to unpack some issues that sometimes are taught in the Christian world today. And I want to make sure we're clear on it. So physically, look, if you will, at verse 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Is any among you sick? That's a good question. And so he's writing that to the dispersed Jews. He says, is any of you out there, are you sick? So I would ask as a pastor, are any of you with an illness right now? Then he says, let him, that sick person, call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders of the church, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, I think it's important to understand the word sick right here. Sick does not mean post-nasal drip. It doesn't mean that you just kind of have a little headache for the day. In the context of Scripture here, the word sick is a much more severe word for an illness. In fact, that word sick means you are so sick that you're without strength. You can't get out of bed. You can't even to see a doctor. You can't move about. In fact, that same word for sick is very, listen to this, was used by to identify the man in the Bible named Lazarus. It says he was sick and then he died. Dorcas was sick and then she died. The man at the pool of Bethesda was was sick for a long time. He couldn't even get to the pool to get healed. So he was sick for a long time. So this illness that it's talking about is any of you illness that has so debilitated you that you can't go to work, you can't go to church, and there's even the suspicion that you might die from it. That's the kind of sickness that it's talking about in this context. So that's the sickness that it speaks here. Now let me talk to you about three different kinds of sicknesses in the Bible. Now I'm going to have to step away from the passage for a moment to do that. So you can identify the kind of sicknesses that might be out there. Here's the first kind of sickness. That would be the sickness that's known as the sickness that would lead to death. That there are sicknesses that we will have that no matter how much we pray, no matter how many doctors, no matter how much medicine we take, there is a sickness that could bring about our particular death. Now, some of you know people that have done everything, gone to great lengths to try to get healed. But there is that sickness unto death. The second kind of sickness is the sickness for discipline. You're going to find in another book of the Bible that the Apostle Paul is now writing, not James, and he writes to the church at Corinth. And he says, now, in this church at Corinth, many of you are weak, early stages of sickness. Then he says, others of you are really sick. And then he says, and many of you will sleep, so to speak. 
So he says there's three phases of sickness. And that he identified those three different conditions of sickness is because the people in that church were having... Um, and that issue was they wanted to take communion, which is an outward sign of an inward attitude before the Lord of taking the juice and the crackers and remembering of the Lord until he comes. But they were doing it without a pure heart. They were doing it when there were factions in the group. They were doing it ahead of other people. They were doing it with sin in their life. They were doing it for all the wrong reasons, thinking that as long as it appears right outwardly, everything is okay. And God says that they were being disciplined. You're weak, you're sick, and some will die young. And, and God is trying to get their attention to clean up their act. So that is a form of sickness. So one sickness, another sickness is God is disciplining you. He's spanking you. He's trying to get your attention. He's not angry with you. He's not wanting you to have sickness and pain. He wants to use that as a vehicle to bring about restoration and for a deeper walk with him. And here's the third one. And this is the kind of sickness known as the sickness to the glory of God. This particular sickness is one that's not dealing with sin in your life. It's not a sickness that might bring about your death. It's a sickness that in that sickness now, you've been given a golden God-given opportunity to bring extra blessing and glory to the Lord. Do you remember the story in John 11 where there was this sick person and they began to ask, did this man sin? Did his mom and dad sin? Is that why he's sick? And the Lord said, no, it's not because of that. It's because of God's glory. Now, those of you might remember people that have had a debilitating injury came upon them for X reason that God permitted to come into their life. And that person is now taking that situation in their weakened state and they're going to use it in some measure to bring glory to the Lord. That's why in, Christ, in Scripture, it's, in our weakness, he is made strong. I'll most gladly glory in my infirmities so that God's grace would be known to others. So again, there is a sickness unto glory. Now, here's the thing. We who are on the outside of all of this can't judge you and should not be pointing our finger at you to say, well, you're sin, you're going to die. What you have to do is get alone with the Lord and say, all right, Lord, you are now using this event for the purpose of bringing me in a right relationship with you. Is it maybe you're going to use this and take me home with it? Is it because you're disciplining me and I need to maybe make some changes in my thinking and my behavior? And then is this a sickness that I'm going to use it to bring more glory to you out of that? Only you could answer that. But it's a question that you do need to ask yourself and you do need to answer as correctly as you can before the Lord. Well, now I need to step a little bit further. If we are sick, what kind of healing would be out there? So I'm going to talk about four different kinds of healings. Now, I wish I had time almost a, a Sunday on each one to open up all the scripture and all the languages and all the illustrations. But I'm going to just kind of give it a lick and a promise for you today. And if you want to sit down and talk with me, you make an appointment and I'd be glad to open up scripture with you. But I'd like to talk about four different kinds of healing. Then I'm going to show you the one that I believe is the one most biblical for you to be able to embrace. So here's number one. The first kind of healing is known as the sensationalist. I'm identifying these are my words, all right, but they're the sensationalist. These are the guys you see on television. You might go to a convention. You might be able to see them. And generally, they're in front of a lot of people, and a lot of people are watching them do all sorts of stuff, and they'll claim God glory this, God this, God that. But at the same time, there's a great deal of sensationalism. They often are flamboyant. Sometimes they'll blow on the people to get them healthy. Sometimes they'll hit the people. Sometimes they'll hold the people till they fall back. There's a lot of different ways, but again, the cameras are rolling and the people are watching and so we call that a sensationalism now i think it would be good to take that backdrop and throw it up against christ 
So now if you look at Christ, did Christ have massive healing meetings? No, he did not. So we don't have a model there. In fact, when he did heal, generally when he healed, and generally is like most of the time, he did it so privately that he would take the person in a private area and he would do the healing there. So it wasn't something that was done as a model for us to follow to do it in this massive event. All right? Keep that in mind. I'd also like to add add this. When those folks do it, whether you want to call them miracle healers, etc., you need to remember that, yes, God can do miracles. And yes, you live long enough in, in Christ, you're going to meet people whom God has chosen to sovereignly, divinely heal. But at the same time, if you know your Bible, you're going to know circumstances where absolute miracles were performed, but it wasn't God who did the miracle. It was Satan who did it. One illustration will be when God told Moses, take your rod before they led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, throw it down. And when he threw it down, into what did that rod become? A snake. Then, picked up the rod, it was a stick again. Now here's where the miracle went sideways. The other magicians in Pharaoh's court, they threw down their rod. And when they did that, what happened to that rod? It turned into snakes too. Now you had a conflict because now you have Moses' rod with snake and you've got these with snakes. So what happens? God showed himself strong because then what happened? Moses' rod with snakes one after the other ones. God's more powerful. I just want you to see one and we could talk about other passages of the scripture. So be careful of the sensationalist style of healing. The second kind is what we're going to call the confessionalist type. The confessionalist. They're the ones that basically say that God's will is that everybody is to be healed. Sometimes it's referred to as a name it and claim it situation. And they'll generally say, if you have enough faith, you claim that because you now have that special healing in the atonement. And you claim it, name it by faith. And so what happens is, we have to work up our faith so we have enough faith to make sure